and again, good morning. As we go through this this new series, um, I want us to consider greatly with regards to the the time of the signs. Um, the Bible is a is a book that tells of so many things, and prophecy is one that is neglected by by many. This series that we're going to be going through this morning <clears throat> and be extending out through the month of May is part of what I refer to as the May Day series. Um, it's a series of messages that I'll be preaching once uh, for one month out of 12 um, that speaks on prophecy. Last year we spoke about the rapture of the church and how the church will be caught up um, and it'll be caught up prior to these particular days that, that Jesus is actually referring to. And it's a time of great hope it's the blessed hope it's something that the church is looking forward to it's a it's a spectacular event it's a fantastic event as far as it's um it's just so strange uh, it's not something that anybody would have ever expected to be found in scripture it's not the first time uh it's done in in the bible we know enoch was translated he didn't see death we also know that um that Elijah was also taken up. We have a number of individuals who are taken from, who are caught up from one place to another. Um, Philip was one, the evangelist in the book of Acts. Um, and we also see, um, uh, we see Paul also spoken about being caught up and into, into heaven. Um, so that was what we spoke about last year. This is something, something else. This speaks about the time of the end. It speaks about the last days and it speaks about those last days for a particular reason. Jesus refers to them as signs and signs are there for a reason. They're there to be able to give us an indication of where we are at in the historical timeline of the world. Um, And we can't deny that the Bible speaks about these things. These are incredible things. And as we look around us today, we're trying to make sense of a world that seems to have gone mad. Yet most people think it's going mad. They look around and they can't make any sense of the world, but they think everything is falling apart. Yet we as Christians see something completely different. We don't see things falling apart. We literally see things coming together. We're living in a time of of the greatest convergence of events that the Bible has spoken about so long ago coming to pass in our very lifetime and and we would be surprised to find ourselves here for such a time as this. And yet here we are. We are here for such a time as this. Many years ago, well before I was a Christian, my brother-in-law, um, Sandro, he and, um, and my sister-in-law, Susan, uh, we weren't married at the time. I think they were. I can't remember if they were married at the time. But they became Christians. They came to the Lord. And Sandra invited me to watch a video. And I watched the video and it spoke about the last day, spoke about the end times. And again, I wasn't a Christian at this time. And it went through a series of events. And one of the events that it spoke about was what was known as the mark of the beast. Um, it was something that definitely stood apart in my mind. It was something that I looked at thinking that that's an incredible thing, the mark of the beast. Um, and I thought to myself, yeah, look, I don't believe much of anything else that's going on here, but I'll watch out for that. If that's true, then I'll know that the Bible is true. You know, Well, praise God, I didn't wait that long, and I've mentioned that before. Uh, I came to the Lord and... Um, 
and believe the gospel because it was my sin that was evident to me that uh, that I knew that I was fallen. I knew that I was not right before God. I knew that was true. And I believed that what Jesus Christ did to save me was also true. And I gave my life to him as a result. And I have never looked back. Never, not a day have I looked back. Not a day have I thought to myself, I wish I wasn't a Christian. You know, I had my trials and my struggles, but it is something that I rejoice in and I hold on to for all of my hope and life. But now more than ever, because if I see so many things going on in the world that are spoken about in times past. Four prophecies we will be dealing with this morning. Four concerning the nation of Israel. Four prophecies that are past. Their fulfilment is already done. This evening or this late yeah, well, 6 o'clock tonight, please join me again as I bring the Word of God to you again this evening as I speak about four prophecies which we should be looking for in the immediate future. Four prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, yet we're seeing their development on the horizon. The Bible is treated as a Cassandra by most people. It speaks prophetically about many things in the future, yet it is not believed by many. Um, Cassandra was, she was the beautiful and fairest princess of the king and queen of Troy in Greek mythology. Um, the mythical god Apollo fancied her and, and as a bargain with her for her love, he gave her the gift of being able to see the future. He gave her the gift of prophecy and she was able to tell the future specifically and exactly. She received that gift, but she went back on her word and she would not give her love to this, uh, this mythical god Apollo. As a result of that, the god had cursed her. He cursed the gift. He said, though you will be able to speak prophetically, I curse that gift in that no one will believe you. And in a very big way, we seem to be Many seem to be afflicted in the, same, in the same way with regards to the Bible. It speaks prophetically about many, many events, yet future to its writing, and yet very, very few people believe it. They seem to be uh, more willing to consult their horoscopes, but not the Bible. Fortune tellers make a fortune telling, and those who are told believe the telling, but not the Bible. They're happy to, to read the, the stars that they know nothing about. Um, the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators, they're all consulted for their mixed messages, but, but not the Bible. Um, so for you to say to me that you have no interest in the future events, that you have no interest in what tomorrow brings, I will call that out as a, um, as a lie you've chosen to believe. I think many people want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. Share traders make a living off it. You know, they bet on tomorrow. And I can guarantee you almost each one of them would want to know how tomorrow will come. They tell us that future events within the Bible make up about 27% of the scriptures. More than a quarter of the Bible is made up with prophecy. And um, it's definitely something worth, uh, worth considering. Um, the passage that we read this morning is found in three places. Already mentioned that it's found in Matthew 24, Mark uh, Mark 13, 
and Luke chapter 21. They're all a little bit different in some of the things that they bring out, well worth comparing one with another. But there's no doubt that it speaks about the end. Matthew 24 verse 3 says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciple came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? I want to open again in prayer and, uh, and be with me this morning. Heavenly Father, again, do, dear Lord, thank you for the word of God. I thank you for its prophecy. I thank you for all that it teaches. And I ask and pray, dear Lord, your blessing upon each one of us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The times of the signs Jesus spoke about, you can discern the, 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 the days, you can discern the weather, you can see that if it's in the, um, if it's, if it, what it's like in the morning and what it's like in the evening, whether it's red and, and how that's going to play out for you, and yet you're not able to discern the signs of the times. And he was speaking about his own presence there in Galilee and in Israel. And our title this morning is The Times of the Signs. And this is part one, and this is dealing specifically with Israel. And this is really important on why it's dealing with Israel. In verse 33 of the passage, it gives an impression, an indication that the generation who is alive during the times of these signs will live through to its culmination, will be, well, the generation itself won't, won't expire before those times have been concluded. Verse 33, So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Perhaps there's some validity to this. There are many scholars who believe that this is the case. They actually believe that the timeline begins with Israel being back in the land. They refer to the fig tree that Jesus speaks about in each of these passages. And the fig tree is always representative of Israel. And when he says that this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled, we know a couple of things. We know for certainty that he wasn't referring to the generation who was actually hearing his words. He wasn't referring to them specifically because they'd all passed. They'd all passed. They'd, they've, they've moved on. Um, and then he begins it with a capital T as if it's a quote. This generation shall not pass. Which generation? Could it be the very generation that might still be part of that generation when Israel has come into the land? It's, it's, it's an interesting concept. It's certainly not something that I would push too strongly, but... That was 72 years ago only. And when you think that they've come into the land, they've formalised as a nation, and here within 72 years we have such a combination of events that certainly gives the impression that we are in the very last of the last days. Could it be? Could it be that very generation? It's, it's an incredible thing. and It might be just a coincidence that all these things are converging within this generational period. And we're talking a generation is generally assumed between 90 to 120 years as far as from the, from the life of a man, from, from his birth until his end, could be anywhere from oh, 80 to 120 years is the general scope. And in ancient times, that's exactly what they thought of. Um, the Etruscans of, of Italy believed 
indeed that a full generation will go from 80 to 120 years. Um, they recognise that at that 80-year point, anything that happened prior to, well, 80 years earlier would generally be forgotten. So history had a habit of repeating itself. It's an interesting concept by the Etruscans. But Jesus goes on and he says something else. He says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Verse 14 of chapter 24 of Matthew. Again, for almost 2,000 years, men and women have gone out to preach the gospel to all the world. And notice it doesn't say that all people and the ears of all people had to hear the gospel, simply that the nations would have the witness of the gospel, that it will be a witness unto all nations. Not only have all nations been reached with the witness of the gospel of Christ, but many who had first been reached with the gospel of Christ have gone full circle and rejected it. And we can think of many nations today that that has actually come upon. Will they hear the gospel again? Are they waiting to hear the gospel twice? I don't know. Are we living in the times of the signs? Jesus spoke of many things in those passages. He spoke about great deception. He spoke about the rise of false Christs. He spoke about wars and rumours of wars, of famines, of pestilences on, and of earthquakes in diverse places. We're living in a time we're all, we're all at home at the moment. Um, the, the entire world is at home at the moment. This is an incredible idea. We're all locked in. Why? Because of pestilences. There's a pestilence upon the world at the moment, a, a blight, a virus that is causing everyone to stay indoors. Jesus spoke about pestilences and indeed there have been many in the past and I've never seen anything like this before. He speaks about famines. At the moment we have in the African continent a plague of locusts that has never been seen before. They constantly refer to it as being in biblical proportions. Biblical proportions is, is the words that they use with regards to that. And again, an incredible time. And yet with all of this, Jesus says, these are the beginnings, the beginning of sorrows. But the Bible speaks a lot more. It speaks about a single global and all-powerful unelected government that will rule over the world. It speaks about a single global and digital currency that will be the only form of exchange all over the world. These are things that are logically progressed out of Scripture. It speaks about a single global ecumenical religious system that will impose itself on all the world. It speaks about economic turmoil. It speaks about global divisions like iron mixed with clay doesn't hold together. And I've been watching this division manifest itself over the last decade. It has been incredible to see. It speaks about apostasy in the church where it's impossible to tell the difference between members of the church and the outside world as dominating this last part of the church age. And indeed, we're seeing that everywhere, everywhere. Faithful churches or those who preach the gospel or preach the word of God, even believe the word of God, are few, few and far between. It speaks also about an advance in technology and travel greater than we have ever witnessed in history before in the last 150 years. We have gone from an agrarian to society to a technologically advanced society. Our fastest mode of transport went from horseback to multiple times the speed of sound today. And that's just within 150 years. Just within 150 years. For all the years before that, it was 
horse and cart or a horse would be the fastest mode of transport. So an incredible time. But it all begins with one impossible event, an impossible event that has been spoken about in the ancient past about a promise kept. And that is the promise that Israel would be regathered and returned to the land of their fathers. It's believed by many that this is the true beginning of the signs Jesus spoke about, and it might very well be. Let's have a look at Luke chapter 19. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Because there was a destruction foretold, a, a dispersion of the Jews at, at a particular time. This would be foretold, and it was foretold by the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, verse 41, the text says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Since Jesus began his ministry, the people had observed a multitude of signs that followed him, a multitude of indicators that this is the very Jesus, the very Messiah who would come into the world. And many were the things that Jesus did that John tells us that which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen, he says in John chapter 21 verse 25. As a result of all those things that the Lord Jesus Christ did, continually they tried to take him and make him a king. And he continually told them, no, the time has not yet come. The time has not yet come. Yet just before this passage in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus organises everything. He organises everything. He arranges to ride in on the back of a donkey, on the back of an ass, the, the, a colt, the, the foal of an ass, the Bible says. As per an ancient prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So Jesus comes in riding upon this donkey and, and as he comes in, the people cried out and they cried out fulfilling yet another ancient prophecy in Psalm 118 verse 26, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. An incredible couple of events and that's just two. We don't speak about him being born in Bethlehem and coming out of Bethlehem, which is a fulfillment of another ancient prophecy, that out of Bethlehem, Judah, will come the prince. The Pharisees wanted him to rebuke his disciples because they were crying these things out. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Why? Because they recognize that that's reserved for the Messiah and the Messiah only. And Jesus, fulfilling yet another prophecy, said, If these should hold their peace the stones would immediately cry out in Luke 19, verse 40. 
Here Jesus is claiming that inanimate objects themselves would rejoice at the coming of the Lord. And that fulfills Psalm 98 verses 7 to 9. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he cometh to judge the earth with righteousness and shall he judge the world and the people with equity. More than 300 were the passages, the verses in the Bible that speak to the things that pertain to his first coming. More than 300 of them. And they were fulfilled exactly, exactly and precisely they were fulfilled in what Jesus did. You know, and it's without question that they, will, that they were there before the Lord Jesus Christ walked the shores of Galilee and climbed the mountains of Judea because the Jews had those testimonies within their own writings because there was silence for 400 years prior to Christ's coming. So all the writings were done well before that. They didn't recognise the time of his visitation. It was a time specified in the Old Testament also. Another ancient prophecy given in the book of Daniel, the exact time that Jesus should present himself as a king. He rejected their calls to be king. He rejected it all the time, continually slipping out from under their midst. And yet, at this particular time, on this particular day, there he is arranging everything. And he says to them that the house is left to them desolate now. Why? Because they did not recognise the time of their visitation. Daniel chapter 9 spoke exactly about those days and the very day that he should come into the world, um, Daniel 9.25. But now, Jesus says, they are hid from thine eyes. So he foretells of the days that would later become known as the great dispersion, the great diaspora it's referred to. He scattered the Jews. The Jews were scattered to all corners of the world, a prophecy of Jesus, but also one prophesied many years earlier by Moses, by Moses. I mentioned by Moses, by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 64 to 65. It speaks about them turning away from the Lord. And he says this to them. He says, and the Lord shall scatter thee among the people, among all people, from the one end of the earth, even unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations shalt thou find no ease. You got that? Recognize that. Among these nations nations shalt thou find no ease. Neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest. But the Lord shall give thee a trembling heart and failing of eyes and sorrow of mind. Uh, the Bible is true, you know, concerning, concerning things to come. It's true. And history tells us that the Jews had no rest. They had no rest. It didn't matter where they went. Everywhere they went, they found trouble. In every single nation that they found themselves in, they found trouble. There was, they were not comfortable in any of the lands that they, that they found themselves in. Never comfortable. Always discomforted. They were seeking comfort. They were seeking a home, looking for a place that they can rest and relax and, and enjoy the fruits of their labour. But never did they find comfort. Do you recognise that? Do you identify that in your own lives? You know, we live in a world where we look to make a home for ourselves, to make things comfortable for ourselves, to be blessed with the, the, the place of our provisions and everything that the Lord has given us. And yet there is a discomfort within our own lives. We have a longing. We have a longing. We have a longing for a home, for a home that is our own, for a home 
that is in line with everything that we know to be true. We have a longing for this. There's a trembling of heart within each one of us. We long for home that is our own. And the Lord has promised, didn't he? He's promised to prepare a place for us. <laughs> Where I go, there you may be also, he says. I'm, I'm looking forward to this home. You know, I am. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. And I'm excited about the days that are ahead of us. Not for the world I'm not excited, but I'm excited for the opportunity for the gospel to be shared. Anyway, these, they had no rest. And if you are not experiencing that, that trembling of heart and that, and that sorrow of mind and longing for home, stay a while. Stay a while. It'll come. The Jews stayed a while in those lands. They built homes and they built businesses until trouble came looking for them. Expelled from Rome in the first century. Italy in the second century. Islamic countries from the eighth century. North Africa in the tenth century. From England in 1290 until 1650. For 360 years, no Jews were welcome in England. France expelled them in 1306 and they wrote an edict in 1394. Spain in 1492, part of the Inquisition of the Roman Catholic Church. Lithuania in 1495, Portugal in 1497. They were prohibited in Russia from the 15th century all the way up until 1772. Want to put down a home? Want to have yourself comfortable? You want to be feeling nice and feeling rest? Neither shall thy foot have rest. Neither shall thy foot have rest. Among all these nations you will find no ease, the Bible says. The programs against the Jews were recorded from the 1300s. The Roman Catholic Inquisition, the most notorious and evil and cruel edict ever done by anybody in the name of, 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 of God, it discovered that the Jews had nowhere in Roman Catholic Europe that they could actually put the sole of their feet. They were persecuted in Russia, persecuted in Europe, disdained in the UK, turned away from the US and murdered in Germany. For almost 2,000 years, the Jews have been scattered around the world and by all intents and purposes, they should have ceased to exist many years ago. But God made a promise to their fathers before them. You see how, how incredible this is? to see all of this stuff coming to pass, a people that shouldn't exist. And yet they are the biggest, most greatest sign of, of the Lord. Not only that they've existed, but they'd be brought back into their land. He promised them that he would keep his promise to them because the Bible is true concerning things to come. Genesis 13, the Lord said unto Abraham, lift up. Now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth so that if a man can number the dust of the earth then shall thy seed also be numbered. Abraham is the father of the Jewish race, the Jewish nation. And God had made a covenant with him, a promise to him. This is what's known um, in the Bible as the Abrahamic covenant. It's also regarded by Moses or understood, written in Mo by Moses in Deuteronomy chapters 28 through to 30 as the Palestinian covenant. covenant. 
but now the land is empty. The land is empty. um, Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 23. In verse 37, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And desolate it became. Desolate it became. What Jesus had prophesied had come to pass exactly as spoken. The Bible is true concerning things to come. In 70 AD, Titus Vespasian, together with his legion of, of, of armies, sieged around the, the nation of, um, well, against the city of Jerusalem. He laid siege to them and, and they were starved out of existence there until in the end the entire edifice of what was Jerusalem was completely destroyed. Josephus, the historian of the day, said, so great was the destruction that it could not be told there was ever a temple standing there. All that was left in the city was Fortress Antonia. That is today worshipped as the Temple Mount. I don't believe that that place up there is the temple. I believe that that is the Fortress Antonia. And, uh, and there's reasons, many, many reasons for it, not least of which is Jesus' own words, that not one stone shall be left upon another. And here we have the historian Josephus in the day making that same claim. 1,800 years ago, for so long the people of the Jews remained unsettled, strangers in strange lands. Next year in Jerusalem, next year in Jerusalem, The phrase so long recited at the end of every Passover by the scattered people. Next year in Jerusalem, a toast would be made year by year, decade after decade, century after century. Discomfort in the lands not ordained for them and how the Lord had kept them desiring home. But that's not all. That's not all. The exciting thing about this is not only did he keep the land um, for Israel, that they would desire to come home, that they would not find comfort in any of the lands that they're in, that everywhere they are, the devil would root them up and shift them again. Not only did that happen, but something else happened. He wouldn't let anybody settle in Israel. He would make the place of Israel, the place of Palestine, discomforting for any to settle in. It became a desolation, a literal desolation people would not even settle there and the historians that we have are incredible that speak to this in 1835 the French poet Alphonse de Lamartine visited Palestine and he wrote this outside the gates of Jerusalem we saw indeed no living object heard no living sound we found the same void the same silence as we should have expected before the entombed gates of Pompeii A complete, eternal silence reigns in the town, on the highways in the country, the tomb of an entire people. Mark Twain, you know Mark Twain, he's a famous American author. He visited Palestine in 1867 and he describes his visit in a book that he titled Innocence Abroad. And he writes this, there was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive and the cactus 
those fast friends of a worthless soil had almost deserted the country. A desolation is here that not even imagination can grace with the pomp of life and action. We reached Tabor safely. We never saw a human being on the whole route. Palestine sits in sackcloth and ashes. Over it broods the spell of a curse that has withered its fields and fettered its energies. Palestine is desolate and unlovely. And why should it be otherwise? Can the curse of the deity beautify a land? And this is Mark Twain. Mark Twain was not a believer. And yet here he is making a, a, a pilgrimage in Israel. But that's not all. Charles Warren, a British archaeologist and researcher, he did extensive research in the city of Jerusalem and he wrote this in the year 1870. The land of Israel is bound up in the chains of its curse which hangs over it. The land has no redeemer and it is a wasteland with no one to cultivate it or care for it. Prime Minister of the Netherlands, Abraham Kuyper, in 1905 stated, The Jews have come in vain. Only God can check the blight of the inrushing desert, he says. And then 600 years before Mark Twain had seen the land or Charles Warren had researched it or this Prime Minister had commented on it, Rabbi Boses ben Nachem, known as Nachmanides, after fleeing Christian Spain in the late 1200s, arrived at Jerusalem in the year 1267 where he writes to his son, Nachmanides is today still a celebrated theologian. His commentaries on Judaism and the Torah are still studied today. And this is what he writes back to his son back in 1267. Many are Israel's forsaken places and great is the desecration. The more sacred the place, the greater the devastation it has suffered. Jerusalem is the most desolate place of all. Not only, not only would the people of Israel be discomforted in all the lands but their own land, but neither would anybody who would come into their land find comfort there. It was left desolate. It was left reserved. It was left prepared, prepared for the people to return. How incredible is that? How incredible is that? Nachmanides goes on and he writes that the devastation constitutes, listen to this, the devastation constitutes a good tiding, he says, proclaiming that during all our exiles, our land will not accept our enemies. Since the time that we left it, the land has not accepted any nation or people and they all try to settle it. This is a great proof and assurance to us. Oh, since shivers up my spine when you read these things and these testimonies from people so long ago. An assurance God had let the land of Israel lay fallow. It became a desert place and it would be seen as desolate by all who passed by. Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 36. You need to read this for yourself. Ezekiel chapter 36. In Ezekiel chapter 36, he first speaks about a scattering of them in verse 19. Then he has pity for his holy name's sake and makes an incredible statement in verse 24. 
He says, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. But now take a look at verses 33 and 34. Thus saith the Lord, in the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities and the wastes shall be builded and the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that pass by. How incredible is that? How incredible is that? I wanted to bring that out. I wanted to bring that out specifically, that it lay desolate in the sight of all that pass by. We've just witnessed individual testimonies of people who've seen it lay desolate in their own sight. And this, this passage written so long ago, have a look at verse 35. And it says, And they shall say, This land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. And the wastes and the desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. Then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and plant that that was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. Consider Isaiah's words in Isaiah 43, 5 to 7. He says, Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, even every one that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I made him, I have made him. It's incredible things to see. And then November, November the 2nd, 1917, during the First World War, a government declaration was addressed to Lord Rothschild respecting the establishment of a homeland for the Jewish nation. It reads, His Majesty's Majesty's Government view with favour the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavours to facilitate the achievement of this object. It being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights and political status enjoyed by Jews in other countries. The signatory was James Balfour and it's known as the Balfour Declaration. One month later, on the 11th of December, on the eve of Hanukkah, General Allenby led the British troops into Jerusalem and freed it from the vice grip of the Ottoman Empire of the Turks. They celebrate General Allenby on a coin of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is also a celebration that was achieved, I think it was in the 2nd century BC, 2nd century BC, where there was a rise of the Maccabean revolt against the the ruling people of the time. And there was another individual um, who also celebrated for liberating Jerusalem and General Allenby is likened to him. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Ezekiel 36.24 Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Isaiah 43.6 On the 25th of April 1920, 100 years ago last week, another agreement known as the San Remo Agreement was created to lead for the establishment of 22 Arab states and one Jewish state. They signified the division of the territories 
of the defeated Roman, uh, the defeated Ottoman Empire, rather. The agreement is known is in Israel today as Israel's Magna Carta. On the 24th of July, an incredible vote in 1922 by the League of Nations. They are a precursor to the United Nations today to recognise the Jewish people's connection in Palestine and approve the creation of their state. 51 member countries, that's 51 member countries of the League of Nations, that's the entire representative nations of the League of Nations, there are only 51 countries represented in the League of Nations, unanimously declared, whereas... Recognition has been given to the historical connection of the Jewish people with Palestine and to the grounds for reconstituting their national home in that country. How incredible is that? All of them. The vote, 51 to 0. <laughs> I think the Lord has a, an interesting sense of humour in how he does things. None of the countries was Israel welcomed in. In none of the countries were the Jews welcomed. In every single one of them, they were kicked out at one time or another. Now you have the representative of those countries within the League of Nations. We don't want them here. Put them over there somewhere. <laughs> you know, They distributed and set up that entire Arab land over there and they gave 22 states to the Arabs. Many of them were created at that time. Saudi Arabia was one of them. Bahrain was another one of them. Um, um, Iraq was another one of them. Iran was already there. There was so many of them were created during that time because it was all part of British property, British-owned property. They were the, the biggest landmass empire that the world had ever seen. And they were distributed between the British and the French in those areas. All of these voting to create a homeland for the Jews in a small neglected piece of real estate that no one wanted at the time. Vote 51 to 0. Isaiah 66.8. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. The 14th of May, 1948. 72 years ago, a nation was born. It was born in a day single day. It took three minutes to cast a vote. The vote was six to four in favour of establishing the state of Israel. And it was a, an incredible day because on the very day that that declaration was made, blood was spilled. A recommendation for a truce was put forward to the Jews by the Arabs saying, if you will not declare yourself a state, we'll have a truce. The United Nations, the United States sent a letter to the Jews also, to the leadership there. David Ben-Gurion was the, was, the, uh, was the leader of the nation at the time, asking them and pleading with them to stay a truce, to not call for a state at that particular time and maybe another time. Golda Meir, who was an incredible woman, she later became the fourth prime minister of Israel, she was one of the great diplomats of Israel. She was a teacher originally and she became one of the great diplomats of Israel. She actually went over to Jordan to petition the king of Jordan at the time not to attack Israel if they create a state and the king of Jordan declined her offer. They would attack Israel if they declared a state. 
She was the one who, was, who has a famous saying. She says, peace will come when the Arabs would love their children more than they hate us. Indeed, peace would come that way. And if you've seen some of the things that we have seen with regards to Arabs and how they, they almost sacrificed their children to, to destroy the Jews, you'd say that she was right. Nevertheless, Israel was born in a day and it fulfilled one of the most important and miraculous ancient prophecies of all. Travailed as she brought forth children, the Bible says. And the Bible is true concerning things to come. A war of independence lasted from 1947 through to 1949. The enemies of this tiny new nation state were these. These are the people that they fought against during that war. Ready? Egypt, Iraq, Transjordan, Syria... Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, the Arab Liberation Army, the Palestinian Arab Army. Together these formed a true Goliath against one David and they prevailed. But the trouble against Israel wouldn't stop. Yet another sign. Turn your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. I'm a good way into the message this morning. At least two thirds. You would bear with me as I bring out just the wonderful truth of what's happened here. These are the things that have already come to pass. Zechariah chapter 12, verses 2 to 4. Zechariah is one of the last books in the Old Testament, just before Malachi. Behold, verse 2 of chapter 12, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Now, I, I accept and agree that the timing that's spoken about here in Isaiah is the time of Jacob's trouble. That's still a time yet future. This is the time of the, of the tribulation period. Nevertheless, we can see itself manifesting itself within the wars of Israel. Israel continued to have wars throughout their time from the beginning of when they brought forth in one day. There was the Sinai War against Egypt in 1956, the Six-Day War against Egypt, Syria, Jordan and Iraq in 1967. Six days it lasted. Six days. The War of Attrition against Russia, Jordan, Egypt and the PLO from 67 to, to 1970. The Yom Kippur War against Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Iraq, Algeria, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Cuba and North Korea in 1973. Operation Latani in 1978. The First Lebanon War in 1982-85. The Intifada, First Intifada in 1987 to 1993. The Second Intifada in 2000-2005. In, uh, the Second Lebanon War in 2006. Operation Cast Lead in 2008 to 2009, the pillar of defence in 2012. This began on a day when I and my family were in Israel. We were there when this war started. We were there. The pillar of defence, 2012, protective edge in 2014 and Operation Chess, which is right now, between 2012 till now. I'll make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and I will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. Ezekiel 37. 
chapter 21. Ezekiel 37, we're not going to go into today, but it is the, the, the ancient prophecy of the Valley of Dry Bones. I'd recommend you read it. God speaks specifically about bringing the nation back together as they were dry bones, they were scattered among all the world and brought back together. So Israel is a modern miracle. A sign? I think a sign. It's never happened before. Never happened before. Not even the great empires of the past have come back. Not the Babylonian Empire, not the Assyrian Empire, not the Egyptian Empire, not the Greek Empire, not the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire will have a resurgence in these last days, according to the Bible. But for a people to be scattered all over the world and to come back into their land, and the land reserved for them, I find absolutely incredible. But more than this, the deserts bloom, you see, in Israel. Yes, Pastor Eddie, they're in the land, as they said they would be, as the Lord said they would be, but with such trouble, can they prosper? Well, the greatest technological advances we have are due to Israeli innovation. Many of the greatest scientists are Jews. Many of the great philosophers are Jews. There's a record of King Faisal of the Arab nations who signed the San Remo Agreement in 1920. The record recalls him saying this, we want Zionists to come into Palestine. He's an Arab. He's the king of the Arab nations. He signed this agreement as an Arab. We want Zionists, that's, that's um, Israeli Jews, to come to Zion, to come into Palestine. We know what will happen. They will bring in the greatest scientists in the world and the territory of Palestine, now so arid and so much of it a desert, will be transformed. It will be a garden. It will blossom like the rose. We shall borrow their experts. We shall work together. We shall do the same in all the countries that we Arabs have turned into deserts and we will make them flourish again. They knew, they knew, they knew, they knew that the Jews would make something wonderful out of, out of Israel. But not only are they they're scientifically equipped, not only are they able to make the deserts bloom, which we'll talk about in a moment, but they are the eighth, the eighth most powerful military in the world. Eighth. Australia's 21, number 21 on the list. Israel is the eighth most powerful nation on earth. They make so much, they make Australia look like nothing and yet Israel itself takes up one-fifth of the state of Victoria as far as its size is concerned. Recall how the Lord describes the land in Ezekiel 36, 35. He says, the land that was desolate has become like a garden, like the Garden of Eden. Isaiah speaks to this also. He says in chapter 35, verses 1 and 2, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy, singing. In verse 6 it says, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water in verses 6 and 7. Verse 10 he says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and singing shall, and sighing shall, sorry, shall flee away. It's as if the land waited for its owner. 
It's if the land waited for its owner before it would bud and blossom. Israel is the largest exporter of roses to the entire world. Israel supplies Europe with one-sixth of all its fruit and vegetables. One-sixth in Europe. Just just to give you a bit of a picture, Israel has roughly around about 10 million people. Italy alone has 60 million. And Israel provides Europe with one-sixth of all its fruit and vegetables. Getting an idea that the Lord has blessed them and they will blossom as a rose. You know what they found when they went there? You know what they found? They found Isaiah true, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. They found reservoirs of a brackish water under the ground. And that brackish water, when it was brought up and it was able to feed the plants and the fruits, made them sweeter, made the fruit and the vegetables more tasty. Because something about the brackish water rather than the fresh water, that the fruits or the vegetables would would struggle to a certain degree. (coughs) And as a result of that struggle, they would not produce many leaves, but they would produce really sweet fruit and vegetables. So the flavour of the fruit and vegetables coming from Israel was quite unique. And yet, when we were there in 2012, we drove only a few minutes over the mountains of Moriah and it was arid land, you remember? It was arid. We drove south past the Dead Sea to Masada and there was nothing but dirt and stones. No wonder they used stones as a form of capital punishment. They they never had a lack. The Bible is true concerning things to come. In a way, I feel like I've exhausted you already with the miracle of Israel. Um, it is an incredible nation. It Never in history has something like this ever occurred or happened. Here we have them, those, those incredible signs. Four of them they were. One, that they would be dispersed among all the nations. Two, that they would be regathered into the land. Three, that they would be a burdening stone upon all nations round about. They would never cease from war until the Prince of Peace comes. And four, that they would make the deserts bloom, would blossom as a, as a rose, four of them. And this is all the past. What about the future? What about the future? Jesus said, So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. What about future things? We've seen all of these things come to pass, but I haven't yet spoken to you about the efforts to build the third temple. There is an effort to build the third temple. The Bible talks about a temple being built for Antichrist. Uh, In the book of Revelation, Daniel speaks about an abomination of desolation that will happen in that temple. Jesus refers to that as yet future to him, that there will be an abomination. He said, when you see this, flee to the mountains. So he is speaking about an abomination that would happen yet future to him. So clearly, if the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, there has to be the rebuilding of the temple. There has to be the third temple. We, we currently are between the second temple period and the third temple period. The next one is the looming wars spoken of in Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38 against Israel that are designed by the people to wipe Israel off the map but designed by God to reveal him. The third sign that is yet future is the coming hatred of the world 
against the nation of Israel. That's the entire world, all people. And the fourth, the fourth sign, yet future, is their call for the Messiah they crucified. So I pray that you would be with me this evening as, as I bring these ones out and I pray that you would pray for me as I continue writing that message for, uh, for tonight. I feel like I've made myself a, a rod for my own back preaching two messages in a day. I've had very little time, but, uh, but I pray that the Lord will continue to be a blessing for me. To consider a point with regards to all of this, um, it was very difficult for me to even think of one other than that the Bible is true concerning things to come. I don't want you to look at the Bible as a Cassandra. I want you to look at the Bible as a book that actually tells things yet to come and what it tells is clear, not vague. This isn't Nostradamus we're talking about here where you can make things up as you go along. The Bible is abundantly clear. It's just a matter of reading it. And if you would read it, then these things will manifest themselves to you. So I pray that you would be with me this evening at 6 o'clock and pray also for those who don't know Christ, who don't know the Lord. Because for them, the times that we are in at the moment is not only confusing but also disheartening. It builds anxiety within people and an anxiety that doesn't need to be there if only they knew the Prince of Peace because this lack of peace is not something that we should have. So I pray that you would be with me tonight. Pray for those who would listen to the Word of God and also please, again, yeah, pray for me, please, as I, um, as I continue to prepare it. Let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the wonderful truth of the Scriptures. I thank you for all the wonderful things that we've seen this morning. And I ask and pray, dear Lord, that it would glorify your name, that it would bless you abundantly, and that those who would have the ears would hear and, and a heart, dear Lord, that they would understand the wonderful truth of who you are, that they would turn to you, dear Lord, and believe the gospel concerning themselves, that they can be saved if they would believe only in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. Be with us, glorify your name through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.